So we are in a series called The Story, that the Bible tells a story, and you have a part to play, and this slide that's going to pop up is, is the next, give me the next one. This, this is the whole series. Now, we're, we're, we've not worked through all this. We're taking just a little piece of it every week, just little small bites. And by the end of the series, I don't know how long we're going to be in it. We're just not hurrying through it. But each week, we've done a part. And the next slide that comes up is going to show you how far we have progressed. And then we are right here facing, this is Facing Judgment Part 2 tonight, Facing Judgment, Hebrews 9, 27. And then we're going to take a little bit of pause again from the series next week. The National Operations Director for Link in Niger, the new ministry that we're partnering with, our new focus in the coming years there in Niger, Africa, that the National Operations Director is in country. And, uh, and so they're not here very often, but Adem is going to be here next weekend, and we've asked him to share, so I'm excited about that. And I hope it's going to keep inspiring you that by the end of 2023 that, uh, that you're going to make a trip to Africa just like I did back in March. But tonight we're going to be doing part two, Facing, facing Judgment, part two, based out of Hebrews 9, 27. So, so let me read this verse to you. It's, I'm going to read verse 28 also, but verse 27 is going to be our focus tonight. It says, And just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment. Verse 28, it says, So also Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. Now, I want to take that verse tonight, verse 27, I want to break it down into three parts. Because when you read it at first glance, it seems as though the only thing that it's saying is that it's a reminder for us that we're all one day going to die, and when we die, we're going to face judgment. Now, that's part of it, but I believe there's so much more in this verse. And if you break it out into three specific phrases, I think it's going to help us to see all the things that the Holy Spirit wanted us to understand when he inspired the writer of Hebrews to give us this verse. The three parts is that each person is destined. The second part is to die once. And the third part is after that comes judgment. So somebody say destined. Ephesians 1.11 reads this way, Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. Listen to what it says. For he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. It doesn't say he makes most things. It doesn't mean, doesn't say that he can make some things. It says that he makes everything work out according to his plan. Listen to Colossians 1, 16 and 17 says, For through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made things we can see and things that we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else. Listen to what it says. And he holds all creation together. He is in charge and he is in control. Now I like this one here. Proverbs 16.33 says, we may throw the dice, but the Lord determines how they fall. 
Now, why is there a verse in the Bible talking about throwing dice? It's talking about casting lots. And if you've spent any amount of time reading the Bible, you know in the Old and the New Testament, sometimes people trying to create a situation and a scenario where they're trying to discern God's will, they would cast lots and try to create a situation that was out beyond their control and that God would determine the outcome. I I like this verse in Proverbs 16.33 because it reminds us that there is a healthy tension that exists between free will and sovereignty. The story, the story of the Bible that this series is about, is reminding us that God has set into motion His plan for this world and all of mankind. Let me read that again. The story is reminding us that God has set into motion His plan for this world and all of mankind. If we're not careful, our idea of God is that in the beginning of time, it's like He had a ball. And the ball was all of history, and that he just kind of threw it out into time, and that he's waiting to see how it's going to unfold. But that's fatalistic, and that's not how it is, because we believe that God is in charge and in control. The the analogy that I use for myself to help us understand this, this healthy tension that exists between free will and sovereignty, I like to think of a locomotive. A locomotive that's, that's traveling through time. We're all on the train together. The, the destination of the train has been determined. When it's going to arrive at its destination, the end of time has been determined. And when you and I are born into this world, we're born onto this train, and we have a degree of freedom about how we can move about the train, what we choose to be on the train, who we choose to be in relationship with while we're there. But at the end of the day, there are boundaries because we can't get off the train, and we can't alter where the train is going to go. You have some freedoms in this world. God gives us the ability to choose in this world. But never forget that he is sovereign. And this story of the world that is playing out is by his design. And we've been given this great privilege to be a part of it. And as we keep saying in this series that you and I have a responsibility in it. The Bible tells a story and you have a part to play. He created us here so that we can one day be with him there. It's an incredible thought, isn't it? He created us here so that we could one day be with him there. I wonder sometimes if in this human experience, we become so focused about the journey that we forget that we have a destination. We we, we forget that, that we're supposed to be somewhere in eternity and that's with him in heaven. Now, we did a road trip just recently as a family. And I don't know about you, but there are road trip rules, are there not? Are there road trip rules? I know. So we're going to do a little participation moment here. If you're online, you can throw out in the chat if you're one of the hosts, what are your road trip rules? So let me just, if you've got one, a road trip rule for you as a family, raise your hand and I'll point to you. Any road trip rules over here? Yes. Pack a lot of snacks. Pack a lot of snacks. Favorite, do you have favorite road trip snacks? Beef jerky. Beef jerky. Are beef jerky, Twizzlers, and combos. Oh. Uh, I know. Road trip rules. Nice. I like it. I like because the driver's supposed to pay attention to the road. I like it. I like it. Blake. The driver determines, the driver is in control of the radio. Is, are they not? Or nowadays it's the phone, this Bluetooth. And I know we have that same rule. Anybody else over here, road trip rules? 
go pee before you leave. Now see, that, now that's a good one. The, the question is, how long do you go before you allow a stop to go pee? That's <laughs> 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 uh, so great. Anybody else? Yes, ma'am. Do you have a road trip rule? Don't let daddy wear sunglasses when he's driving. That's so great. You got to be, you got to see your parents' eyes. Just right. I like that rule. Somebody else, road trip rules? Road trip rules? Jennifer? Don't ask me, are we there yet? I like it. Anybody else? Anybody in the balcony have a road trip rule? Anybody up there? Penny? Don't complain about the track. Is that directed towards Chuck? Okay, all right. Chuck, do you get the final word? Any road trip rules for you? <laughs> That's a weed in your, in your garden? Yeah, it's great. Oh, road trip rules. They're real. They're real. Culture of every family. The, the, one of the reasons why we have road trip rules is because we understand the journey's important, but it's about getting to the destination, right? When you're on a road trip, you, you don't want to stay at the sheets just outside of Gordonsville, right? That's a stopover for us in this last couple of years with Derek graduating from Virginia Tech. That was one of our stopping points to get a snack and to go to the bathroom. But, but that's, that's not why we set out from our house. We've got a place that we're trying to get to. Now, I'm not trying to minimize the human experience because the human experience is part of God's gift to us, right? Like the, the, the dedication of little Mia tonight, being married and having a child and having a family, right? There are, we should cherish those things, but we should never forget that there's a destination and that destination is heaven and you and I were born in this world so we could be with him in that one. You and I... We're born here for a comparative experience. Now, if that's a new phrase for you, you gotta go into the series. I'm not gonna reteach and re-preach that, but you gotta figure that out. It, once you realize why we were born, if God created us to be in heaven with him, why didn't he just start us there? And that's the answer. This idea of a comparative experience is because by living in this world and having this experience, the road trip of life, that once we get there, we're never going to want to be anywhere else. I think that's one of the reasons why we have such a fascination, especially in America, but I think around the world with movies about time travel. Anybody have any time travel favorites? Whether you are a back to the future kind of person, if you're a child of the 80s like me, right, when you were a teenager, or if your time travel movies have matured like me and you're a big fan of Tenet. If you're not, you should be. Right, right, we, we, there's this fascination that we have with movies that talk about travel. You know why we have a fascination with time travel? Is because we don't like the idea of not being in control. We, we love these movies about time travel, being able to control time. It fascinates us because we want to think that we can determine outcomes that don't belong to us. God is the one that's in charge. And he is the one that is in control. And he has set this story into motion. And you and I have a part to play in it. The story is destined. But guess what? You're destined to be in it too. 
and he picks you for a purpose. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not depend on your own understanding. I like the translation that says don't lean on your own understanding, right? You have this picture of leaning on something, putting the full weight of your light on, the full weight of your life on something. Solomon here, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says don't depend on your own understanding, but seek his will in all that you do, and he will show you which path to take. He'll show you the places that you're supposed to go while you're on the train heading to the destination of heaven. You know, I was praying because we were doing that baby dedication. I was thinking about when each of our three children were born, and I remember being a new dad and trying to learn the burrito wrap. You know what I'm talking about? Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you. When babies are born, they've got to be swaddled because they're used to being in this really compact, tight space. And then when they're born, they're like, ah, I'm out of control. There's too much space out here. And so they teach you in the hospital, they give you that little blanket and you fold it in such a way that's like a straight jacket. But that little baby finds comfort in that. That, that child finds the sense of comfort by being bound. Can, you, can we just agree, you and I need to find a sense of comfort in being bound by the sovereignty of God. There's, there's something about our soul that longs to be swaddled by his sovereignty. This next slide that's going to pop up, look at this with me. Knowledge of God leads to intimacy with God that brings about trust in God. That's one of the reasons why church is important. It's one of the reasons why spending time in this book is important. It's one of the reasons why spending time with other people who are, de- who are devoted followers of Christ is important. It's one of the reasons why worship and prayer and all the other 12 pathways that we teach and preach here at City Life, it's important because one of the things that those 12 pathways gives to us is an increased knowledge in God. And the more you know about Him, you cannot help but fall in love with Him. The more you know the deeper your sense of intimacy is and the more trust that you will come to have. I don't know about you, but when I get to the end of my life, I just want my trust in God to be bigger than it ever has before. Bigger than it ever. And I hope that if City Life Church is a church that you call home, that in your time here, that you're gonna find that this is true for you. That by being here, you learned some things about God that you didn't otherwise know. And those things you learned about God, whether it was in a sermon or a small group or at base camp or the well, on a retreat of some kind, whether it was building beds for kids in the aqueducts on a Saturday afternoon, that you learned something about God that drew your heart closer to him. And as your heart drew closer to him, you began to trust him. Swaddled by his sovereignty, we are destined Somebody say death. I know, so you don't want to say that one, do you? I'm with you. That word does not roll off our tongue as easily. We like the idea of destiny, but we don't like the idea of death. But can I just tell you that death is part of God's plan for the human experience too. Every religion that teaches some form of reincarnation or regeneration is a lie that caters to humanity's unwillingness to deal with the finality of death. Let me read that again. Every religion that teaches some form of reincarnation or regeneration is a lie that caters to humanity's unwillingness to deal with the finality 
of death. There are no second chances. Now, there's lots of second chances before the day we're born and the day we die, but on the day of our death, the idea of second chances, it's over. It, it kind of brings some sobriety to this existence, but I hope it does more than that. I hope that it inspires you. The most important economic principle, I was a business economics major in college, the most important economic principle you're going to learn is scarcity determines value. Scarcity determines value. And that's true for life too. I'm not going to read them for the sake of time, but in Psalm 39.4 and James 4.14, it talks about the brevity of life. At some point, this life is going to come to an end. And every day that we've been given from this day until that day is a precious gift to move about this train, this locomotive that we're all on together, discovering our purpose, fulfilling our calling, living out our destiny. There's a lot of directions we could go in this point, but I want to take us to Genesis 1, 1 through 3, that it reads this way, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. In the beginning of verse 3 it says, Then God said... I want to share that with you because I believe that God is constantly speaking over our lives throughout our days. I believe that just as God created in the beginning of time, he's constantly at work creating in us. When you think about who you were 10 years ago, 20 years ago, two years ago, I hope that you can find some things in your life that you have the sense that God has formed and created in you that weren't there before. Maybe it's gifts or abilities or perspectives. Maybe it's passions that are coming to you. I want to encourage you tonight that God is at work as a creator. And when he created you on the day that you were conceived, and then the moment that you were born, God wasn't done creating in you then. It wasn't as though in that moment that he gave your life its beginning and then stepped back. He is constantly at work in us, speaking in us, just as he was speaking in Eden. I love the fact that we had a baby dedication tonight. What a powerful illustration for us. Little baby Mia is up here. God has created things in her already. Already there's giftings and passions and abilities that he's put into that child. But when she's 55 like me, guess what? He's not done yet. I hope that being in tonight, that it's inspiring you, this idea, this, this relationship that you're going to find with God, that he wants to keep speaking over your life. God said, it's not just in Genesis 1, it's in your today, and it's in your tomorrow, and in every day for the rest of your life. Let's resolve that we want to become our full selves. Let's resolve that we want to become our full selves I want to get to the end of my life and have a sense that, that God had free reign to create in me everything that he wanted to create. And he had permission to uproot everything that needed to be uprooted. I want to get to the end of my days and have a sense that I, I, I became the full self that God destined me to be before death calls my name. Each of us has a part to play in the story of God 
that he has unleashed on the universe. And I don't want any part of mine to be left undone or any part of me as a person to be uncreated. Now let me just, for some of you, I just want to talk about death just for a moment. Just trusting and believing whether you're watching online or whether you're in this room. You might be new to Christianity. You might be new to church. And this idea and this conversation of death is frightening to you. And so let me just give you four quick things. We're not going to camp here for a long time, but I just felt like there might be somebody here that needed to hear these four things. These notes are always online every week. You can go to our website and download it. All the verses are listed there, plus the notes that we're working off of. Again, I'm not going to read these verses, but I gave you a a scriptural reference for each. But the first one is this, is death is not an end. Death is not an end for us. No matter who you are, no matter what your story is, I I like to use it, and I use this phrase often at funerals. When I'm presiding over a funeral, I like to talk about this life as being awake in the womb. Just, I believe that physical, natural birth is given to us for many reasons, but I think it's a metaphor for also for what's to come. That when we breathe our last here, we're born into the realm of eternity. Death is not an end. It's the beginning of what comes next. Death is not only sorrow. I love in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 14. Are we supposed to grieve? Yes, we are. Of course we are. We're going to miss the person who's gone. Sometimes death comes by way of tragic circumstances and grieving and mourning and being sorrowful is a natural part of the human experience. But if that person that is gone has made a vow of devotion to Christ, guess what? There's also something to celebrate. And sometimes we have this struggle, we, we, we feel duplicitous, and I try to tell people as a pastor, you've got to make room in your heart to both weep and celebrate all at the same time. You feel confused because at one minute you're happy for them, but at the next minute you're sorrow, you're sorry for yourself and the people you love. And I say, that's okay. You got to make room in your heart for both. Death is not to be feared. We're going to get to that here at the end. If you've made a vow of devotion to Christ, I love what Paul says in Philippians 1.21. He says, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. He didn't welcome death, but he didn't fear it. Why? Because he understood that death was not an end. And then the last one is this, death is not to be taken lightly. If you look back onto the story of your life and you can't find a moment in time where you've made a vow of devotion to Christ, I hope you find that moment tonight. I hope you find that moment tonight because there is a judgment that's waiting for us. And after we breathe our last, there are no more second chances. Somebody say judgment. This is our final point tonight. I don't know about you, but I've spent a little time in front of judges in my life. You might not know this, but if you're driving more than 20 miles over the speed limit in North Carolina, they can actually arrest you on the spot. It's a true story. A friend of mine told me all about it. Some of you have been in front of judges for different reasons. For some, more serious than traffic offenses. For some, maybe your work has brought you into the courtroom for various reasons. Maybe because of you being in the military, you've had some exposure to their court system. But at some point, all of us, more than likely, in our lives are going to find our way in front of a judge. And there's things that we hope for in a judge when we stand there. That we're hoping that that judge is going to be fair. We're hoping that judge is going to be merciful, are we not? We want justice to be meted out when it's someone else, but when it's us, we're like, have mercy on me. 
We want them to be merciful. We, we want them to be dispassionate. We want them to look at the facts of the situation and, and apply the law as it pertains. We want them to be honest and integrous. We want them to be in a good mood on the day that we're there. There's all kinds of things that we're supposed to believe about judges. They are an integral part of our justice system, not just here in America, but around the world. You and I, one day, are going to stand before the judge. The judge. And he is all of those things that I just mentioned and more. He's completely fair. Everything about him is merciful. He knows all things. He sees all things. We can trust his heart. It's interesting when you begin to do a search in the Bible for verses that talk about God being a judge. You find the most remarkable verses. I picked three of them that I want to read to you tonight. The first one is in Psalm 19.7. It says, the instructions of the Lord are perfect. Perfect. Reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy. Making the wise simple. Psalm 111 verse 7 says, all, all he does, not most, not some, all he does is just and good. And all his commandments are trustworthy. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, for we must all stand before Christ and be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. He is a judge. That locomotive and that train is racing through time, and it's bringing us all to the moment of a judgment. Matthew 22, 1 to 14. Now, this is a chunk, but I want to read it all for you. Matthew 22, 1 to 14. It says, The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. And when the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to notify those who were invited, but they all refused to come. So he sent other servants to tell them the feast has been prepared and the bulls and the fattened cattle have been killed and everything is ready. Come to the banquet. But the guests he had invited ignored them and went their own way. One to his farm, another to his business. Others seized the messengers and insulted them and even killed them. The king was furious and he sent out his army to destroy the murderers and burned their town. And he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready and the guests I invited aren't worthy of the honor. Now go out to the street corners and invite everyone you see. So the servants brought in everyone they could find, good and bad alike, and the banquet hall was filled with guests. You realize this is a picture of heaven, right? But when the king came in to meet the guests, he noticed a man who wasn't wearing the proper clothes for a wedding. Friend, he asked, how is it that you are here without wedding clothes? But the man had no reply. Then the king said to his aides, bind his hands and his feet and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called and few are chosen. It sounds harsh, doesn't it? I mean, the man was invited there. He came as he was. But as you begin to realize this being a parable that speaks of heaven and judgment and the salvation that's offered to us through Christ, we begin to realize the truth of these words. As you look over your life and you think about how good you've been, just how good you've been, where do you think you would fall in the line of humanity? 
Would you be up there with Mother Teresa? Or would you be back in the line with me? When you look at your life, how good you've been, would you be up there with Harriet Tubman? Would you be up there with Billy Graham? When you, when you, when you, if you were going to begin to kind of plot a line of people and they're better than others and, and, and I wasn't as quite as good as them, but, but I'm, I'm better than my neighbor because they're really bad. Right? We begin to put ourselves in this, this, this line. Can we just agree that whoever gets to be at the front of the line still falls short of God's standard of holiness? No matter how good you think you've been, no matter how good of a life you think you've lived, none of us are going to measure up to the standard of God. None of us are going to make it. That's why God gives us this parable that is so powerful. Because the clothing of your goodness is never enough to warrant being worthy at the banquet of heaven. Isaiah 61.10. Oh, this is a good verse. I am overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God, for he has dressed me with the clothing of salvation, draped me in the robe of his righteousness. I am like a bridegroom dressed for his wedding or a bride with her jewels. See, what Jesus did for us on the cross 2,000 years ago, the Bible refers to it as a robe of righteousness. And all of our goodness, the Bible says, is as filthy rags. See, the only way that heaven is promised to us is if we accept the forgiveness that is extended to us through Christ. So when the day of our judgment, no matter what we have to endure being said to us, and I think we're all going to have our regrets there. The one regret we don't have to have is where we're going to go after our judgment is done. Because if we're wearing the robe of righteousness that's given to us by Jesus, because we accepted his forgiveness here in this life, heaven is promised to every one of those. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. Psalm 1-1 reads this way, Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of the sinner, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of the sinner, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. One of my questions to you tonight is this, whose advice are you taking? Whose example are you following? And whose life are you becoming? Whose advice are you taking? Whose example are you following and whose life are you becoming? The book of Psalms is one of the most incredible books in all the Bible. And how it starts is important. And it starts with these first few phrases. About not walking in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standing in the way of the sinner, nor sitting in the seat of the scornful. It's progressive. There's a walking, and there's a standing, and then there is a sitting. And this poetic imagery is given to us because it's talking about who we become and how we become who we become. See, because the people that you walk with in this life are going to give you advice and counsel. And the more you walk with them, the more you're going to listen to them. And the more you listen to them and the more you follow that advice, the, the more you become like them. 
And the more you become like them, the more you become like them, it begins to define who you are and your identity in this world. And can we just agree the same is true for the family of God? The same is true for this book, immersing yourself in environments and settings and in communities of people who are going to give you good advice. The people we walk with eventually are going to be like the people we become. That's why Paul wrote to the church of Corinth. He said, good, bad company corrupts good character. We're on this train together, people. We're destined. The Bible tells a story, and you and I have a part to play. Death is waiting for us. Judgment is waiting for us. But before we get there, let's resolve that we want to become everything that we're supposed to be. Let God's creative work take place in our lives. And let's be wise and careful about who we surround ourselves with along the way. Let's walk and stand and sit with people who understand destiny, death, and judgment. Let's walk and stand and sit with people who understand destiny, death, and judgment. Stand with me. We're going to end the service a little bit differently tonight. Instead of closing with the song, we're going to just go into a time of prayer here at the altar. And, and so the, the band's going to continue, continue to play. And so when, when I'm done praying in just a minute, then, then you're, you're free to go. I, I would ask, though, that if you stay in here, I know there might be some people here that you want to say hi to. There might be some people here you want to congratulate. The baby dedication, Mike and Lindy, or it might be that you brought a friend and you want to introduce them to someone. But my, my, my ask is this. If you could not do that in here, you could find your way into the foyer there. There are also the cafe. There's, there's coffee and refreshments down there. Make sure you get your kids out of childcare, but you can go hang out in there. But, but down here, we, we just want this room to continue to be a place of ministry for a couple of reasons. One is this, believing that there might be some people here tonight as they look back onto the story of their life, they can't find a moment in time where they've made a vow of devotion to Christ. And this idea of the end is something that's disconcerting to them. And I would say it should be if you can't find that moment in your story. You can find that here tonight. Some of us are going to be down here available to you for prayer. But the other thing I felt like in my heart praying today for this part of the service, I just, I felt like today that, that, that there would be going to be people here. And if you're watching online, you can request prayer and one of our hosts will take you into a private chat room and can pray with you. But I just had such a sense that there might be some people here that you're, you're just asking God for healing in your life in some way. Or it might be you're praying for someone that you know for healing, whether it be physical, whether it be emotional, that, that just that today was a day that God was just saying hey ask of me come on ask of me I don't know about you but there's times where God says hey I want to do a work in your life will you just come so if you need a healing in your life in some way we believe that God always has our best interest at heart and he invites us into this place of asking so I hope you'll come and ask with us Father, I thank you for the work that you've done in all of our lives tonight. I pray that each of us would leave here with an appetite and a desire for the creative work that you want to bring into each of our lives to have your way with us. We want to become everything that you've created us to be. 
we want to do everything that you've created us to do. Help each of us to be rooted into a community of people that understand and believe these things that we've been talking about tonight. Encouraging, provoking one another, as it says in Hebrews 10.24, to love and good works. And I pray for this moment that we're about ready to step into, for that person that's out there right now, that they feel it in their heart, that person that's online that's thinking about logging off, but they're supposed to stay in a little bit longer to ask for prayer. I pray that people would overcome those feelings of being conspicuous and self-conscious, whether they need to come to make a vow of devotion to Christ, whether they need to come because there's a healing that they're praying for, or whether it's to come and stand to intercede on behalf of a friend. I pray that tonight would be a night of asking, a night of asking. In Jesus' name, come on and everybody sit together. Amen.